If you have your Bibles, you'll turn me to uh, Genesis chapter 1 as we continue our journey uh, through Genesis, uh, a sermon series entitled Beginnings. Uh, last week, if you were here, we actually took an overview of how to make sense of the whole story of the Bible, uh, looking at the fact that all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, it really is one story um, told by our great God uh, through different authors. It's all about Jesus. We looked last week at uh, what God's Word said, that all the Scripture points to Him. We also looked at it's all for us. So no matter where we find ourselves in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, wherever we are, um, we know that God says this is his word. It's useful. And God said this is his story. It's to inform us, to teach us what he requires of us and what, he, what we should know about him. It should always point us to Jesus. If you leave here and you didn't hear about Jesus, and you didn't see him, I've failed because God himself has said it's all about him. Uh, not only that, if you leave here and you feel like, ah, it wasn't for me, I've failed, uh, or you didn't hear the Spirit of God, because he says it is all for us, all of it. What good news. Back in junior high school, I received extra credit in a science class I took if I watched a TV show. And the TV show uh, was hosted uh, by a pretty handsome scientist with a, with a great voice, Carl Sagan. And so many of you, maybe you watched that show in the 80s, uh, really entitled Cosmos, uh, which is the Greek word that describes the universe. And it was every show that Sagan would come on and he would begin with a presupposition. He would begin with, with declaring something to be true and he used great authority. It was very interesting. As a matter of fact, he would, dis he would declare this presupposition that he would think to be true with almost using biblical authority. And yet when you look at the presupposition that he was going to use, it really came without any scientific proof. It came without any scientific method. But he made it anyway. Every show started off this way. The cosmos. All that is, all that was, and all that will ever be. Well, right there, immediately, Sagan is revealing to us uh, his view of everything, his view of the universe, his view of the world. To Sagan, it was a big eternal box, a box that has ever been eternal. It always was, it is, and it always will be. In his eternal box of the universe, well, there was, there was no room for a creator God. There was no need for a creator God. It just always was. What an interesting presupposition um, that is quite different than what God's word tells us. When we look at the book of Moses, we, we find out, and he's the author of this book called Genesis, and we do a little research on Moses. He's got a most amazing life, uh, a boy born of unusual circumstances at a very difficult time. Uh, his life was almost taken as an infant, uh, as the Egyptian ruler at the time said, kill all the Israelites. But in God's preserving hand, uh, Moses was saved. Matter of fact, Moses was given something that Really, no other Israelite was given. He was given the best education of the day. He was, he was raised by Egyptians. 
And as he was raised by Egyptians in the greatest schools in the world at the time, with the best Carl Sagan's of the world, with the best scientists, best philosophers, they were all right there. Moses got all of this. And Moses would have been taught this about the world. It was created by the gods. Not one, but many. The gods had these battles. They had these wars. They didn't like each other much. They were trying to show dominion. And at the result of their worlds or their battles was the heaven and the earth, the, the separation from the water from above and below. And, and that these gods are now to be worshipped. That these gods, the god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of uh, the land, uh, they're all to be worshipped together. But it's interesting what else uh, he would have received as an education there in Egypt. He would have been told that the pharaohs, the kings, the rulers of the earth at the time, they were the sons of God. They were the ones who, who were able to somehow access the heavenly realms and that the pharaohs and the kings and them alone were the image bearers of God. And so what they would do is they would hear the God's plans for the earth, the gods, and they would go and they would execute it. And they would do things like build pyramids in the desert because they were image bearers of God, fulfilling the will of God. And they're using the slaves like the Israelites to do it. Now Moses uh, comes into contact with the living God, the God who is uh, the only one true living God, and everything has changed. Uh, Moses is writing to God's people. They've left Egypt. Uh, they have left, uh, crossed through the Red Sea. They're wandering the desert. And now Moses is going to tell them the story of who God is and how God has created all things. Moses begins, it's amazing, he tells a story about the Israelites in the very beginning. He starts off by saying, in the beginning. And he makes immediate distinctions that rattle the world at the time. He says, there is one God. There is one creator God. And this one creator God, he creates everything out of nothing. Wrap your gray matter around that for just a few moments. With no known substance, speaks, just uses his voice. And all that never was, all of a sudden becomes creation. One God who, who creates everything um, out of nothing. One creator, one ultimate being alone is to be worshipped. Uh, Moses will tell us, we don't worship the moon. We don't worship the sun. And we don't worship creation. We worship the creator, and this creator is one, uh, this one God. He says something else we're going to see in a few moments that is even more radical to former slaves who've been set free on their way to the promised land. He says to them that no, it's not the pharaohs and the kings who alone are the image of God, that you, male, female, you, Every single one of you has been made in the image of God. And because of that, there's great responsibility. Every single one of us, not just the kings and the pharaohs, are supposed to do the will of God on earth. That We are. And we have been given this great dignity as being made in his image. As, as Moses tells us the story of how God created, he tells us that God created everything in the span of six days. In six days, Scripture will, will tell us that he creates all things. And on the seventh day, he rested. We'll look at more of that next week. He didn't rest because he's exhausted. He rested because creation was complete. And we'll look at that again next, next week. 
The question that immediately uh, rises to the uh, to top of the surface is, okay, now these six days, were, were these a literal 24, six 24-hour days? Uh, can it be true? And, and theologians alike have wrestled with this. It was Augustine. He, he, Augustine lived way back in the 300s. And Augustine, who, who believed in the inerrancy of Scripture and knew that God was telling him truth, says, there's something about these 24 days that are different than our 24-hour day, days. He wasn't quite sure because he knew, he knew things like the sun and moon didn't even appear on the first day. So what is that? It was the reformers who said, for the most part, we believe that it's a literal 24-hour, 6, 24-hour days. Our own Westminster Confession of Faith that we stand on would believe that. But others who, who still love Jesus and who still have a high view of Scripture will say, well, those days are really represent an age. Each day is like an age. And that Hebrew word for day has a little bit of a fuzz on it, like the day of the Lord. So maybe they represent a time period. Some will say, look at Genesis and say, look at the beauty of the literary beauty. It's, it's a framework. It's just, it's just telling us the story that is, it's true, and a, and a framework that we can understand. And so it tells us that God did create, but we're not to take it as literally as 24, uh, six 24-hour days. The debate will rage. Do we have a young earth? Do we have an old earth? What was God trying to communicate to us? Calvin really was very smart. John Calvin, who lived in the uh, 16th century, he says, when scripture is clear, we got to be very clear. Where, where scripture tells us very clearly of who God is and what he requires of us, we got to dogmatically stand and say, this is what it says. Where scripture has a little bit of fuzz, we want to be a little bit careful and we walk through that. So my goal today is not to tell you uh, a whole lot more other than to lay out for you like I just did of where we are. I I tend to lean toward it was a a literal six 24-hour days. But here's what's important. This is what's very clear in God's word. It will tell us these things in Genesis 1. Who created the heaven and the earth? Who created it? It's God and God alone. We will find out in Genesis 1 who governs the heavens and the earth. It's God and God alone. We'll find out in Genesis and throughout God's word of why he created it. You know that God created all things for his own glory? I love what a friend of mine, Richard Pratt, once said about God's creation. He says he created all things like like a trophy case to display his glory. It's It's like an art gallery. Uh, Creation is for us to stand in awe, not of creation, but the creator say, wow, what an immense God you are. What a good God you are. What a powerful God you are. What an incredible God you are. We'll also find out very clearly in scripture who God put in charge to rule and reign creation for him. We'll see that that's us. As we begin, we're going to look at basically a few questions that that I will strive to answer through Genesis 1. This will be the focus of the text. Uh, You may want to write these down. Uh, The outline you can follow along with as well. But what I prayerfully hope that the Spirit of God will lead us to and things we can answer are these. What does Genesis 1 teach us about God? There's a lot there. What does it teach us about God? Second question. What does Genesis 1 teach us about us, mankind? Quick disclaimer. 
Um, I will use the phrase mankind to include both men and women. I'll try to sometimes use humankind. If you're here and sensitive to the fact that uh, I'm not being inclusive enough, uh, I apologize. I I know when God made um, mankind, he is talking about men and women, uh, both in his image. There's some really good news. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to be male and female in the image of God. We're going to look at the reality that God has made us equal in his eyes, in our being or ontologically with different roles, but I'm already getting into next week, so hold on. So if I use uh, mankind, uh, um, go with me, all right? I'll try to uh, make sure I'm culturally sensitive, but it'll teach us, Genesis 1 teaches us what we need to know about God. It'll teach us what we need to know about ourselves. Uh, We will just briefly mention how does the fall, how does our sinfulness affect the perfect picture of Genesis 1? We'll also look at, because I told you last week, and it's true of Scripture, that all of Scripture points to Jesus. We will see where is Jesus clearly seen in Genesis 1? He's there. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's clear. And then lastly, what does Genesis 1 mean for you? How it is going to affect the way you have lunch today? How will it affect the way you might say your prayers tonight? How will Genesis 1 affect the way you wake up tomorrow and greet the world? Because I think all of that is answered for us in this amazing first chapter of the Bible. So turn with me uh, to, to in your Bibles. They'll be in your bulletin. It's listed there for you on two pages. It'll be on the screen. We have a big story, a longer story. So lean into this. Uh, may the Holy Spirit give us ears to hear. Moses wrote to the Israelites marching through the desert as they went to the promised land and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to you today. These words. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Picture this of a heavens and earth as God was creating. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And he called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruits, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, uh, vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be light, and let there, let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. 
And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds Uh, And the livestock, according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, and this is a change here. Look at this difference. And then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given um, to you. Even the green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he, he made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning that sixth day. Let's pray. Wow, Father, you need to come. You need to come and be teacher. Holy Spirit, come and join us in a way that you give us ears to hear your truth, your voice from your word. Give us minds to understand this ancient story that is preserved for us as the living word of God, that is for us. God, give us hearts, hearts that believe, hearts of faith, And give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of its truth and its light. And God, I confess of my inadequacies. I confess of my sinfulness and my brokenness. And oh, this morning, how we desperately need you, please, for your glory, for the health of your church, to use this broken vessel to speak truth. The things that I say that are true, that contain the good news of who you are and what your son has done, Use those things to make us more like Jesus. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or they're my opinion or that are confusing, may all those things fall away and be forgotten. May you and you alone receive glory, but come and be with us so that we receive challenge and knowledge 
so we could live a life that's pleasing to you as you have intended. We pray all this in God, in your great name. Amen. Okay, in the beginning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, in the beginning, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about ourselves and how are we to respond? It starts off in this. In the beginning, God, it's God who creates. We have a creating God, a mighty God. Is he mighty? This creating all-powerful being, he just speaks and everything comes into existence. God is the creator. God and God alone is the sustainer of all things out of nothing. God not only creates all things. Did you notice what he did? It's kind of of beautiful. It's interesting. He creates spheres in which everything in its kind is to flourish. The heavens and for the birds and and the the seas for the fish and, and land for us. He not only creates all things, he creates the spheres in which all things created by him are to swarm and and flourish and and have have life. He also creates that which is to govern or, or to rule those spheres. We can't control day and night. He created a sun and a moon that will govern the day and the night. But did you notice what is to govern for him over all things living that have breath? It's you and me. He's created us in his image to, to govern and to reign in his spot for his, his glory. It's God who creates man and women in his own image. Did you see what happened in the book of, uh, uh, as we read that first chapter, that there's only one time that God kind of paused? He kind of paused, not to catch his breath, but to show us that something different was happening in creation that the first time in creation there's a pause in which God himself is going to take counsel with himself, the God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with the heavenly beings, and he's going to say, now, this is different. Let us hit pause and say, let us make man in our own image. You're a creator too, because God is a creator. What do you love to create? How many of you guys have workbenches? How many of you all have a, 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 maybe a, a palette that you draw on or, or maybe a cook? I mean, you know, it's funny. As I was studying this week, I, I draw this one figure that Katie always laughs at. I have the same guy. I've been drawing the same since seven, I was seven years old. And I'm no artist. But I love to create things as well. Why? Because my uh, God's fingerprints are on me. What do you love to create? What, what do you love to do that points to the fact that God is creator? God not only creates, he separates. And what God is doing when he separates, he's, he's bringing order. He's a God that's not only creator, he's a God of order. And he, he separates light from darkness. He separates uh, the water and the land. I mean, he's creating order. Now, there's one thing we got to stop and just look at very quickly that I told you that God creates all things, and it's true. And specifically, when you talk about light and darkness, the question emerged, well, did God create evil? Is all things including evil. I was in a conversation with pastors right here in this community recently, and the conversation came up, and many pastors said, yes, God creates evil. Well, whoa, if God created evil, he's both good and bad. If God creates evil, that there is a shadow of turning with him. If God created evil, how could we ever trust him? So you want to ask the question, well, evil, where will evil come from? Evil is kind of like darkness. It's the absence of good. What is darkness? It's the absence of light. Uh, Darkness is there because light is not there. It's something you have to create. It's the absence of something. 
Uh, evil is, is the absence of good. It's when Satan first rebelled against God, the absence of the ultimate good to worship himself. Evil comes into the cosmos. Evil comes into the world when we are made in his image, rebel against him. God did not create evil. He is not the author of evil. If he was, we could not trust him. God has sovereignly allowed it into the story, but God separates. He separates light and darkness. That's where I want to go. How is it with you? Do you like order in your life? What's your closet like? What would your closet, I mean, are you the kind of people that like order your closet? It's really, are you just jamming the stuff on in there? If you you like order in your life, you like things a certain way, you don't want your food touching, whatever it is, it's probably the reality of the fingerprints of God on you because you know what? Our God loves order too. You may not believe this, but I have order in my closet. Jackets in one place, long sleeves in another, short sleeves in another, pants in another. Yes, they're jammed in there and they're all about ready to explode out. But I too uh, like the fact that separating order is a sign that what God is doing. God is the one who uh, separates in a, wa- in a way where things are to flourish. This is going to be very important for us. What environments did God separate for us to flourish? What are some boundaries that God gives us to flourish? Next week, we're going to talk about the boundaries of male and female. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage. Are there boundaries that we should have with that? But let's keep going this week. It's a God who creates. It's a God who separates. Um, Look at your closet and say, praise God for making me of order. If not, say, God, give me more order. It's a God who sees and evaluates. You know what that tells us about God? Did you notice what was happening? He's like this master uh, painter who, who creates he steps back. He looks at it. He sees it. He says, it's good. It's good. It's beautiful. It's a God who loves beauty. Have you been to the beach and fallen in love with a sun rise? Have you seen the beauty of, uh, of uh, the mountains? Have you seen the beauty of, of a child or a spouse made in God's image? It's a God who sees and evaluates beauty. Why do we see and long and evaluate beauty too? Because we're made in his image. And that's who he is. He tells us what is good. Now, we got to get this too, because sometimes Christians miss this. God has created the earth. And do you see what he said when everything was done after six days? He called it what? Very good. This earth is awesome. I mean, yes, the story will tell us that it's been, there's a curse that's happened on this. And, it's, and creation itself is longing to be set free. But somehow the church often lets the liberals uh, be the ones who really love the earth. Now, they go way too far. They're the ones who say it's Mother Earth, and maybe the earth is to be uh, uh, worshipped. Never. But because God created it, and because God declared it good, we also have to say it's good, and it's worthy of us as stewarding. And if anybody, Christians, who know by God's grace that this is not some box that's eternal that always was, that this is God's masterpiece, we got a responsibility, Okay. So it's a God who, uh, who, who uh, sees beauty and calls us to enjoy it and to make beauty as well. It's a God who blesses. Don't you love the fact he blesses his creation? You know what this tells us about God? He likes it. He likes you. I mean, he likes the fact that he loves his image. I mean, you have been stamped with his image and his reflection, and, and he loves to bless. And here's what God does. I want to I fill everything that I've created in the area of I've created it. I want you to just multiply. I want you to swarm. I want you to flourish. I want you to team. I'm just going to love watching it. I'll get to this in a minute, but, you know, God could have filled the whole earth with his glory, 
But he just gave us the joy of helping fill it with his glory. He gave us the joy of, of, of working and, and knowing his blessing. God commissions us. Not only does he do these things, he commissions us. He gives us our marching orders. We're made in his image. He tells us how we are to live and who we are to be. He commissions us by saying, be fruitful and multiply. He commissions us and says, fill the earth. I got a job for you. Subdue it. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's the bottom line in that commission. You were created to work for God. If God made you in his image, and he did, you have a job to do. You have a job to do for him. Um, and what a, what a privilege it is that he's left us a job. Sometimes parents want to do everything for their kids. If you do absolutely everything for your kids, you'll cripple them. If you never let them have the joy of experiencing it themselves, to be creative, to, to learn the, uh, the beauty of the world and to experiment, the joy of a parent is watching a child get it and be who they are in God's image and, and find their gifts and, and thrive. Is it not a joy, parents, those of you who've been there? It's a God who's created us to thrive and to flourish in his image for his glory and watch us work in a way that fills the earth with what he's called us to do. So that's about God. It tells us a lot about God right there in that opening statement. But what does it tell us about man? It tells us some amazing things about mankind, humankind as well. It begins with this. is one that we're under authority. That God created you in his image to be under his authority. That there is one ruler. There's one king. There is one God. There's one that we are to bow to him. It's him and him alone. God has created you and me to live our lives in submission to Christ as king. In submission to God as king. That's what the hell is about us. For our lives to be fully lived the way God intended them to be is to live lives in submission. We've been bamboozled. We, we, sin has come in and messed up the story that we somehow think that if we live our lives in submission to God as king, we're going to lose something that we really like. Or if we live our lives really in submission to God as king, that, that we'll become people we don't want to become. God making you in his image, calling you to live in submission to him, is here's the reality. You will be fully you and fully alive as what God has intended you to be when you live your life saying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not I who live, but you live in me, great triune God. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. That's how God created you and that's how you fully be alive, to live in submission to him. God has made you under authority. But secondly, God has given you dignity. God has made you in his image. We are sons and daughters of God's image bearers. You and I have probably heard this if you've been around church. This was rocking the world of those Egyptians who were, or those Israelites who were hearing this who just left Egypt. You see, they grew up being told, you have to work for the sons of God. They're called pharaohs. They're the ones who have the real job on earth. Go and build that pyramid. Go and make those bricks. That's God's will for you. You're a slave. And all of a sudden, Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, no, 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 no. They got it all wrong. You're not a slave. You're a son. And God has made you and gave you amazingly, amazing dignity as you reflect who he is. Every single one of us has dignity of being made in God's image, but there's even more. Every single one of us has a job to do to bring the rule and reign of heaven on earth through us because we are his image bearers. 
That's the beautiful thing about uh, the dignity of God. God has given us a job to do. It's why we realize that all of life has value. All of it. All of life has value. Whether that's in the womb or whether that's a life that's crippled with Alzheimer's. Whether that's a child who struggles with Down syndrome. It doesn't matter. Because life has value not because of a woman's choice or not because of our being able to say what has value and what doesn't have value. Life has value, all of it, in the womb or on your deathbed because it reflects the infinite value of God. That's why we got to cherish it. There's a child who was born in this church with his organs outside his body. You would know him. He's a beautiful kid. He's a great kid. And when he was uh, in the womb, the parents said, oh, you want to abort this. This is not going to be good. Something's gone way wrong. They recently named a a room in one of our hospitals after him, knowing that this child with organs on the wrong side of the body after surgery is just this incredible. You you know him. You saw him. You say, man, that's, that's him. But the reality is, is if you have organs on the inside or the outside or, or in the womb or out of the womb, life has value because we are image bearers. And that's what this church stands on. It's not just, uh, it's, it's uh, the reality of all men and women should have dignity. Black, yellow, red, and white, they are all precious in his sight. Why? Because they reflect who he is. Northerners, Southerners, Muslims, Jews, even Yankees. I mean, they have dignity. Because they've been made in God's image and they deserve to be treated well. They may, they may not act it, but they reflect it because of who God is. All right? James 3, 9 and 10 says this. It says about the tongue that we're trying to tame. He said, and it's an amazing thing, this tongue, isn't it? It says that we use the tongue in James 3, 9 and 10 to praise God. We use the same tongue to curse men and women in his image. Scripture says it's not, should be, it should not be this way. Dignity. You see, in Carl Sagan's world, where the cosmos are eternal, humans have no distinction from the creation. We have no relationship with the creator. In Carl Sagan's world, you know what we are? We're lucky mud. We're lucky mud that came out of the primeval ooze, and somehow we're able to evolve to where we are, and there's no distinction, there's no value. And God says, you got amazing value because you were made in my image. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Listen to this beautiful quote. Lean into it. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It's true. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it's immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of this kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taking each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. We all have value and dignity because we're all made in God's image. Not only that, you're assigned responsibility. God created you to be responsible for two amazing things of his creation. The first one is, is to rule for God. He made us his vice presidents, if you will, his vice regents. We are to reign and rule for him. We are the crown jewel of, of his creation. 
We are the people who I've said need to live in submission to God as king. Be ready for this. We are the people who live on mission for God as king. We are the ones who get it. The kingdom has come. We are the ones by God's grace through the work of Christ Jesus who now pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be on mission for him. Bring the reign and rule of Christ uh, wherever you go. Not only that, to subdue the earth. Here's what God has called us to do as his children, subdue the earth. To bring God's light into darkness. What's the darkness around you? To bring order into chaos. Wherever there's chaos in your life, as a child of the king, bring order into chaos. Bring beauty into the void. We are to be a people on mission for God. God is calling us wherever we go to make where we are through the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit a place where God and man can dwell together in harmony. Okay, here's the deal. When I say you gotta be in submission to God, that's what God's word says, and be on mission for God. Sometimes we think the big and the grandiose. What does it mean to be in submission and on mission at lunch today? What does it mean as as you wake up tomorrow? My brother came with two friends from Buffalo a week ago, and the first thing we did when they arrived is we had a dinner around our table. They were blown away with it, that a family sat there and talked to each other, and that we interchanged what was happening in life. And one of the comments they said is, I just can't believe eating with your family. You guys do that? We had dinner together. I mean, it was just basically on mission saying that we're going to stop. We're going to ask God's blessing over the food, that our fellowship is going to be with one another. Here's the bottom line. God, if you are a child of the king, he's calling you right now to live your life in submission to him and on mission for him in the very next practical way. As a, as a, a, a homemaker, what an amazing call. As whatever God has called you to do in this community, do the next thing in obedience to him, living your life, knowing that you have great dignity and value, but God has called you and placed you right where you are to bring his light into a dark world. Here's all you gotta do. Ready for this? You gotta be you, in love with him, in a way that says his life is is the most valuable to me and I live in submission to him. And the reason I'm here is to spread the aroma of Christ and the knowledge of God wherever I go. It should affect the way you do your taxes, the way you do your banking, the way you talk to your children, the way you talk to your neighbors, your spouse. That's how God fills the earth with his glory. It's you and me taking him serious and saying, yeah, we have been called. Called to be in submission and on mission for us. You know, the, the fall came. We'll get to this in Genesis 3, and it messed everything up. Now we, we rebel against authority. Now we want to live on mission for ourselves. Uh, now we just want to think it's all about us and subdue the earth for us. I, I often see the bumper sticker, God bless America. Man, is this not a great place? And don't we all want to say God bless America? But you know what I usually think of when I see that bumper sticker? God, thank you for not judging America. Because this is a place where the image of God is no longer safe in the womb or or, or many other places. This is a place where we've lost admission. This is a place where we aren't on mission. This is a place that we have the American dream being the most important thing to us. Yeah, bless America in a way that we see you. Bless America where the American dream falls away and the dream of living for the God who is becomes reality. 
I often see God bless America and I'm thankful for it and think, man, thank you, Jesus, for not just judging us today. How does this passage point to Jesus? I don't have time to do what I want to do, but let me just tell you, if you look at John 1, John 1 starts off this way, in the beginning. How did Genesis 1 start off? In the beginning. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was God in the beginning, and it created all things. There was nothing that wasn't created by Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, said that everything that was created was created by Jesus, for Jesus, for his glory. It's all about him. It's true. And Jesus is the one who came and and was the perfect, Hebrews 1, the perfect image of God, and lived the life that you and I were supposed to live in submission to the Father. Jesus is the one who came and was awesome and perfect on mission for the Father, seeking to save the lost. Jesus came as the light of the world in this darkness, and the darkness didn't overcome it, and the light still shines. How does Genesis 1 point to Jesus? He's the creator. He's the hope. I mean, it's all about him. And now, because of his work and his grace, we are back on mission to live our lives in submission to him, live our lives on mission to him, to bring the light of God into the darkness around you the darkness inside of you, to bring his order into the chaos of the world around you and to bring his beauty into the void. Do it in the next step. Do it in the way you ask God's blessing over the meal at lunch. Know that it all matters for his glory. Sagan was a brilliant scientist, brilliant, but he had it all wrong about the universe. He said it always, it is, it was, and always will be. According to God and his word, no, it wasn't. God and God alone, who is the one who is. God and God and God alone is the one who was. And God, our triune God and God alone is the one who will always be. And this is just his creation. And we're moving toward a new heaven, a new earth, where he'll be with us. And this Lord's Supper is a reminder that what he has done to rescue us, to make sure that we're back on mission for him, to live our lives in obedience and to live our lives in mission. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for telling us the truth about who you are. Thank you for telling us the truth about who we are. Thank you for giving us such dignity as image bearers. And Jesus, thank you for coming as the ultimate image, the exact replication of God because you are God and man in one. Thank you that through your life, death, and resurrection, that life and life abundantly is now ours, that we're back on mission to fill this earth with your glory. God, come and feed us through this meal, we pray in Christ's name, amen. As the elders come forward, would you prepare your heart to take the Lord's Supper?